This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. This podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hey there, welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are going to be talking about parental mental health and specifically factoring in fathers. Our guest, Jane Honickman, is the founder of Postpartum Support International. And since then, she has gone on to co-found Postpartum Education for Parents, co-founded the Postpartum Action Institute, and written several books, Community Support for New Families, I'm Listening, A Guide to Supporting Postpartum Families, My Diary, A Postpartum Journey from Pain to Purpose, Postpartum Action Manual, How to Provide Comfort, Encouragement, and Guidance to New Families, and her latest, Parental Mental Health Factoring in Fathers, co-written with Dr. Danny Singley. Jane was born and raised in Palo Alto, California, and has lived in Santa Barbara since 1970. She has come a long way since she had her first child. She and her husband have three adult married children, eight grandchildren, and a cat. You'll be able to hear from Jane how passionate she is about making sure that we are including all persons in the family system and very especially bringing fathers and their needs to the forefront. You can find Jane's book, Parental Mental Health, Factoring in Fathers, on Amazon or on their website, factoringinfathers.com, and on their social media, at Parental Health. On both Instagram and Twitter, they are constantly sharing bits and pieces from the book, as well as a free infographic that they have on their website that you can download and share with your providers, share with your partners to let them know what father's mental health needs are during the perinatal time. So let's dig in and talk with Jane. Welcome, Jane. I'm thrilled to have you with us. Hi, Kat. Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. I am really excited to talk with you because you really do bring the full arc of all of the movement in perinatal and parental mental health, beginning in maternal mental health and PSI. So you, you have such a depth of knowledge and experience, and um, I'd love to hear a little bit more and have the listeners hear a little bit more about how uh, this, uh, your, your path started. Oh, it's a pleasure to uh, sort of rewind my brain and <laughs> talk about the past. I love to do that. It really all begins with always wanting to be a mother and wanting to be just like my mother, who was my role model during the 1950s. Mm-hmm. and very traditional, except that she was a feminist, and I was uh, raised with a awareness that men and women should be equal, but they weren't, certainly not mm-hmm. during those early years. So I was set up for going to college during the 60s and really being impacted by social change. There was so much going oh, on yeah. in America, around the world, but particularly for me, on the streets where I grew up and in the college I attended, And I was, you know, sensitive to what was going on in terms of inequities and needing to make things better. Uh, But that fit into my fantasy still of wanting to marry and have babies and stay at home and do all of that good stuff. Well, in the 60s, I met my uh, to-be husband summer before I went overseas 
and to be a student in the in Denmark. And what happened is that we did the big no-no in those days, the social uh, acceptance mm-hmm. of pregnancy before marriage was absolutely forbidden. So when I went off to Denmark, I was actually pregnant. And then, of course, I had to relinquish the baby for adoption. And my whole life turned upside down. But I was in in a state of what's called denial. And the ignorance around the whole thing was profound. And of course, I did end up coming back. My boyfriend and I did get married. And we went the route of the traditional buying the house and uh, having the job and trying to get pregnant again and all of this. And we did. But then it's like, what fantasies do to you is just set you up for disaster, mm-hmm. especially when somebody like myself who's had some kind of a trauma like that and is in complete denial. I mean, they never mm-hmm. talked about it. It was so forbidden topic. And I've played along that this, our, our son was born in 72, our first been born. 66, and then we had another daughter in 75. Uh, The the environment was one of which I'm very proud to say that I participated in my community with my friends through an organization that sort of made all the difference to me uh, in terms of my career. And again, my mother had been a member of American Association of University Women, and I paused to tell everybody about AAUW because it's had such an impact on my life and my mm-hmm. whole career and what you've seen come out of, you know, over the years with my work mm-hmm. is really because of them. And my friends and I started postpartum education for parents in the 1970s. And mm-hmm. this is when we were all young parents. And notice I'm going to say the word parents because we were all feminists and we did not want to just be known as mothers. In fact, we used to say, I'm not just a mother, <laughs> you know, I'm a parent and i you know, the the movement was have the fathers in the, the birth room delivery. They need to see us in labor. They need to be equals with us. And so you can see that that was sort of the setting the stage right. for what evolved for me. It's never been just about women. It's never been about just mothers. It can't be because we know that there was a sperm that got us pregnant. Right. And we right. we felt rather <laughs> strongly about the fact that there was... Um, this change was happening. And again, it was all happening around so many other things. Yes, childbirth education and breastfeeding and the learning about our bodies. We had mm. no clue. And during this time, we were really rabble rousers and we just mm. asked a lot of questions and we wanted to shake it up. And we did. But starting PEP, which is what I did in the 70s with my friends, set me up for an unknown trajectory. Uh, but it's right. always about adjusting to parenthood and not recognizing that there could be such a medical emergency aspect to this until we got so much publicity and I was getting the taking the phone calls and doing the interviews with people who are journalists and mm-hmm. one thing led to another and I was suddenly on the platform with psychiatric illness and it's like what what happened <laughs> I don't know how did this happen <laughs> but I was all about learning and taking a day at a time and loving it uh, again promoting the idea of peer support, because none of us who started PEP had any, any background in the medical field, the mm-hmm. psychological field, not anything like that. We, in fact, my background is the opposite. I'm a sociology major. Mm-hmm. So I always saw this as community should get together. We can be better and stronger if we can do this together and share our experiences. So that really mm-hmm. molded me. And AAUW gave us the money. We had a grant to start PEP. Oh. And then I got a grant as an individual to study what was going on in the field of postpartum education for parents around the United States. And that was the basis of my then realizing, oh, this is about families. And there's a mm-hmm. national movement called the, it was called the Family Resource Coalition in mm-hmm. the 80s. And then I met the founders of Marseille Society. <laughs> And in 1984, I was invited to talk about PEP as a community response, a system of action, it was called, um, at their first meeting. And it was like throwing me into the fire den. I had no idea what right, I was right. doing, who these wonderful people were. And they came from all around the world. It was held in California, so it was easy for oh, me nice. to get to. And my eyes were just so big. And I was pretty much groomed to start seeing the world of 
parenting in another light. And because it was scientifically generated, or the, the scientists were the ones who were moving us forward, I fell into under, trying to understand what this history of mental illness really was all about. I'm and sure. on a personal note, I have a, my father was bipolar. And that on top of the fact that there was a lot of mental illness in the other members of the family and my own trauma is like, oh, gosh, <laughs> right. whoa, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. So that's that's, that's a fast learning. I mean, it's an interesting way to, to kind of be introduced to and learn about all of this. And, you know, even the organizations that you talked about, PEP and Marseille, are still going strong to this day. They're still out there. Lots of programs come and go, but it's really amazing that your foundational work with PEP, uh, starting PEP, and then hooking up with Marseille, and then that starting Postpartum Support International is just just amazing. Well, it's not so much amazing. It's just about persistence Mm. and understanding that can't be about one individual. It has to be about forming networks and communities and learning about boards and nonprofits and moving forward Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. And it's the stuff I like to do. I'm Mm -hmm. not a clinician. I think that's an advantage. I am a lived experience. That's an advantage. I'm also love, love to learn, but I also am very curious. I'm kind of obnoxious. I mean, I would show up at these <laughs> meetings and they'd, they'd say, what are you doing here, Jane? Why are you back? It's like, yeah, well, good actually, for you. I'm not going away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Good. That's great. And that is, that is what it takes, I think, you know, for people who are passionate about something, you know, trying to convince other people that you know, that your passion is, is equally important and that you need to be there and that you should be there. And that all, by the way, they should be passionate about it too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's moving forward. I would say the other word is patience persistence and patience because Mm -hmm. nothing happens overnight. A lot of people just get discouraged and and, uh, Mm -hmm. do give up unless it's your livelihood. And that's, that's a different piece of this whole movement that I didn't realize was happening, uh, but Dr. Hamilton, who was my guru, who said to, to tell me what I should do, mm-hmm. he was impressed by what I brought to the table, which is the consumer mm-hmm. peer support, social support component. But he always knew that we needed to train the clinicians and, and educate the medical field, and that mm-hmm. and that simply was his priority. And he felt the best way to do it was to get people like me. Bugging other people, bugging the professionals, <laughs> uh-huh, and that's right. exactly right. So he he um, did that, and I <laughs> always was a, sort of aware that he was doing all of this, and I was very close to him because he was a father figure. He was mm-hmm. uh, my father had passed away, mm-hmm. and he, Dr. Hamilton, came in as this role model father connection for me, and it's mm-hmm. like. He even played tennis like my dad did. I mean, it sort of <laughs> looked like him and then all those wow. things. So there was a personal connection as well. And he lived in age 90 and mm-hmm. uh, died when we were really on a roll and doing extremely well with PSI. And the Marseille Society, of course, owes a debt of gratitude to him. And they do. They acknowledge. Oh, for sure. So I sort, sort of got off track here. But this is a time, though, when I... You can truly say that it became all about the mother. But when I look back at the all of the Marseille Society meetings I attended, and then when we started PSI conferences, it always I absolutely felt it was imperative to have the father's research presented. And when I pull out the this the syllabus from the 1984 conference, there was a paper presented actually by an Italian who had done the work on Kuvad, which everybody needs to learn about Kuvad and the syndrome with which males during pregnancy of their partner, wife, the mother of their child, also has symptoms. And it is ancient. And people have noticed this. Anthropology has documented it all. And I find it fascinating. And that the men suffer too. And that mm-hmm. was something I was like, okay, we mustn't forget the men. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games, and Netflix's Brainchild, 
comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. And, and it's in your work, and as you've added more and more to your sort of resume of programs and, and books and whatnot, that has continued to be a part of, of your work, is, is about right. families and the system and not just focusing on women or birthing or, or the, the mother. That's right. And yet I can tell you that as a, a very strong woman, I am proud to see like AAUW and the other organizations I belong to that have empowered women mm-hmm. uh, literally since trying to get the vote um, and before um, that we've been very successful finally. And, and I'm mm-hmm. all about that. However, the irony is that we are now, I believe, doing to men what we complained about they were doing to us during the 60s and hmm. then the 70s. Yeah, there's been a flip. There's been a flip. And yes, there's inequities still, and there's horrible abuse and, and all sorts of things that we know we need to talk about. We, you know, the Me Too movement has done very well with doing that. However, men are humans, and men mm-hmm. have feelings too. And I live with a man... 50 plus years we've been married. I raised one son. I welcomed two sons-in-law into our fold. I have grandsons. I care about men mm-hmm. and I care about their feelings and how we as women step on them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we were complaining about <laughs> as women. When I mean, I, I'm old enough to tell you that we had to use our husband's names in the paper, it was if you had your picture of the paper in, in Santa Barbara, it had to say Mrs. Terrence Honickman. Oh, wow. It couldn't be Jane Honickman, and we had to fight for that. Good yeah. grief, you know. Right. <laughs> so now we don't do that. Right. But I hear from the men that, in fact, my my niece has just gotten pregnant, and when I spoke to her mom, the soon-to-be grandma, I said, "How's it going?" And has Theo been involved? Well, he wasn't allowed into the ultrasound room. What? So, what do you mean he wasn't allowed in? Mm-hmm. That's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I just learned, did you know that men's names are not required to be on birth certificates? Oh, uh, yeah, I hadn't learned of that. Apparently huh. I wonder what state, the history of that yeah, is. One state, one state in the United States requires it. I, know, I need to dig into this because I don't know. I just heard this on a lecture that we still view men as not important in regards to their role as father. And that's one of the reasons there's not enough research. One of the reasons that men are not participating in the research for on paternal mental health, because right. you can't find the men. You can't find the men because they're not listed. Their names are not. Oh, listed. I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That is so interesting. I really am interested in looking into that and the reasons why that ha- yeah. I'm, I'm sure there, there's a, a valid reason in there, but it, I can also I mean, there's a lot of implications for 
family history yeah. and being able to track people down, but, but, but um, also... There's no, there's no excuse because there's an egg and a sperm. They both need to be identified. Uh-huh. And the new, I'm also, because of my experience with adoption, you need to know who you come from. You mm-hmm. need to know mm-hmm. your father and your mother mm-hmm. and their, their your grandparents on both sides. It's just absolutely critical as a human being to know mm-hmm. where you come from in order for mm-hmm. you to go forward. So I'm very yeah. passionate about that. Yeah, that so there's discrimination going on against the men that women are not aware of. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. And so are you hearing a lot? Well, in your, your, the book that you've recently written, written parental mental health factoring in fathers is, you know, really driving home all of these, these points that you're bringing up. What are the things that you're seeing and that you want to make sure that people know that is happening with fathers or that we should be changing? Everything. Um, <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and it begins by having conversations with men. Mm-hmm. And I was always on the lookout, as you can guess, because of my personality, for the, the right man to collaborate with. I needed to find somebody who could write this book, because I am not a man. I cannot write about what mm-hmm. it's like to be a father. Mm-hmm. So to find that gentleman, <laughs> I this you know kept my eyes and ears open. And sure enough, I was at a meeting and I saw this little note saying we're looking for fathers to participate in research on uh, relationships with their infants. I thought, aha, who's this man? (laughs) (laughs) And so we fondly call it stalking. I, I, you know, tracked him down and I, you know, dialed in and we had this chat and and we hit it off and his name's Daniel Singley. So Dan Singley is a clinical psychologist and a researcher and a father and he focuses on men's excellence and that's his, that's his shtick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Dan, we need to write a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he rolled his eyes at me and um, <laughs> he's like, well, I don't know. I said, well, I'll take care of all of it. It's uh, going to be under um, part of my other books, handle all that. But I can't, I'm not qualified. But what I am wanting to do is express my point of view with t- explaining about PEP, explaining about how we saw this as a you know, a family issue, new families, and parenthood, and parents, and that everybody has experiences, everyone has feelings, everybody has hormones. That's the other the mm-hmm. really powerful thing. Remember, as women, we always focus on our biological systems because they're so obvious. Men, not so much. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been their downfall, haha, because we don't acknowledge that they have, you know, mood swings. They that's definitely right. have reactions and they have a brain and it yeah. runs, they have an endocrine system mm-hmm. all of that's in the book and it's a little tiny book it's an easy book to pick up and put down and you we get feedback from the readers saying oh yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. I, I thought that or gee i didn't know that or aha mm-hmm. i should have done that okay. i should know that and it starts with what i find the most important piece that i learned from dan is what it means to be a man Mm. and understanding masculinity and our attitudes and biases about what does that mean? What does masculinity mean? As women, we don't take the time to figure that out. When was the last time that came up in conversation? (laughs) Not recently. And that's the core of the book is to start understanding that. And Dan lays it out very nicely in in, uh, this whole field of paternal mental health is around understanding these shifts from men today generally had no role models at all. I mean, I started this conversation by saying, my mom is my role model. This is who I wanted to be like. Mm -hmm. Men today struggle, and they call it precarious manhood. I mean, precarious fatherhood, but precarious because you're not sure where I'm fitting in with all this. Society says, oh, like I did with my husband, you're going to be in the delivery room. You're going to see what you did to me, and you're going to see this baby come out, and he's going to be your baby too. Right. And you're going to change diapers. Mm-hmm. We have those expectations as women to make this an equal partnership, unless you're in a culture where you actually put down the man. And mm-hmm. there are parts of the world where we have the other way around, that men want nothing to do with this process, and that's mm-hmm. their cultural prerogative and that's the place. But if we're as as women in America saying in the West, West Western part of the world, 
saying, no, no, the men need to be involved too. Well, we need to be a little more open about having conversations with us. What does that mean? Right. What does that look like? Right. So it's specifically if they, the generation before them, their own fathers weren't really, potentially weren't as, as involved as we are thinking they can be or wanting them to be, that they're learning a new skill set as they go because the previous generation wasn't as involved. And that was, I think, expected to some extent that they would just be out of the room, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's really fascinating too. And I I can see the the shift within in my my own life in what you're saying is, you know, after my son was born, I had a lot of realizations about how how deeply emotional boys are and men are and um, how how my own societal uh, kind of upbringing about you know, what men are and who men are supposed to be. It was so much edited and, and so much smaller to what their actual range is and capacity is. And I thought, gosh, I don't ever want to tell my son that he can't have feelings or that he's supposed to, you know, man up or whatever, yeah, uh, because exactly. that cuts, cuts him off from his full experience. Amen. That's exactly right. And <laughs> my dear son, who's now a father of three and uh, nearly 50 years old, says, <laughs> Um, you know, he owes it to me that whether right or wrong, he's a feminist mm-hmm. growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the, um, great. He's, he's such a nurturer. And one day after school, I probably fourth grade or so, he came in and they said to me, Mom, if I ever get divorced, I want the children. Mm-hmm. I guess, Stephen, where did that come from? Uh, well, clearly there was his peers who are having divorces happening in this class and I don't know where his little brain went but that you know he was always wanted to be you know (laughs) father and always wanted to be the nurturer and he is um and so you know and I and my brothers were my Uh our father was not Uh but our my my brothers are amazingly interacting Uh and again times have changed and but you have to have those conversations and I when do we fit that into um Let's have a baby. Let's conceive. Now we're pregnant. Here's the delivery. Uh oh. Now what? So when do we get this opportunity to have conversations about all this? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, you just insert them <laughs> like we are now into the into the you know dialogue. It's it's super important. And, and to your point, I, I think that supporting fathers' role in the transition into parenthood is also not just about fathers. It's about the parents. It's about the system. And when everyone is taken care of, then everybody fares better. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that uh, it doesn't matter who raises a child, no gender. And that's the other thing. We need to be more inclusive of all the, what does it look like to be a parent? Right. Uh, we, we all do it the same way. We may not do it exactly in the same way, way, but we right. are conveying the same love and nurturing, and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. But uh, women are guilty. I certainly learned this from a pep group way back in the 1970s <laughs> um, when a father in our group said when he was trying to do the diaper and he was being criticized, he felt it. He spoke up. How mm-hmm. do you expect me to do it? How can I learn if you don't leave me alone and let me do it my way? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I I hear that a lot. Yeah, Um, I bet. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It's it's hard because, you know, sometimes it's coming from a place of anxiety for, let's say, talking about a a male-female relationship. Sometimes it's uh, some of the anxiety of the postpartum mom kind of being so highly worried about anybody else taking care of their child. Um, But there is is something in there about either assuming that men don't know what they're doing or they're going to do it wrong or something along those lines that, um, that does, you know, seep into the relationship sometimes. It really does. And, and, uh, we, um, just that it's about being mindful, of course, about all of these things, but it's so, and maybe slower I mean, not, not done doing it your way. It doesn't mean it's the wrong way. But I wanted to transition a little bit into what are the signs of depression in men and anxiety sure. in men. We know that the rates are the same, approximately. Um, certainly the, the same 10%. I was 
taught by Dr. Hamilton and all of the Marseille Society way, way back that it's 10% for women. Um, and now we know from the research it's 10% for men. Uh, and it fluctuates, of course, and it has mm-hmm. to do with intensity, the degree of the experience and the suffering, and then, of course, onset. Mm-hmm. And for men, we know that it's delayed for the men. Uh, and we also know that the greatest risk factor for a man is if his partner, if the mother of the baby, has been depressed. So we know all that. But it takes a different form. And we need to listen to what does it look like for a man to have postpartum depression mm-hmm. and the anxiety and the behaviors that come out of that. And we know that the anger, um, irritability is much more pronounced. For mm-hmm. the man. Mm-hmm. And we also need to, that wreaks havoc, of course, on marriages. And that's the other thing that we have, and or partnerships, that, again, we don't have time. It would be so lovely during pregnancy, don't you think? Mm-hmm. We don't have the baby right there in front of us, outside the body. Mm-hmm. Um, then we can start doing some of this uh, conversation. Yeah. And I think that putting that into our daily routines, you know, okay, okay, try to talk about this. And then the baby's screaming all the time. and or not, whatever it is, who looks after the, the new father? There's no mm-hmm. doctor for the new father. Right. Uh, but there's a doctor for the family, and that's a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't met mm-hmm. and heard David Levine, who's the pediatrician who finally came out, so to speak, mm-hmm. about his depression right. post-birth of his son, it's been seven years ago or so, um, he really has nailed it. He's done so much to finally get that lived experience out in the open. Right. And he's more believed because he's a pediatrician, a uh, professional mm-hmm. who, who, as he says, I should know. Well, I didn't know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in myself. So uh, that's been yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. There is no no specific doctor for the father. and I. I I wish that um, it were more prevalent with pediatricians um, to be looking in on the family, but you know we we have some serious uh, blind spots in our medical system um, and difficulty with siloed care that uh, you know pediatricians are just for the baby, but you know in in so many ways. Um, right. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There should be a broader reach and broader perspective in any uh, pairing profession that, that interacts with a perinatal family, not to be right. checking on the whole system. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen any, anything that indicates we're moving in that direction? Oh, we definitely are. We definitely are because um, uh, there are people like Dan Singley, Jane Honickman, David Levine, and, and a wonderful researcher, Sheehan um, Fisher, who is at a PSI meeting, a couple of several, he's been at several PSI conferences mm-hmm. speaking about yeah. his research. You know, there's a whole group, there's a cadre yes. of, of wonderful researchers. Um, but back to silos, I mean, there's a psychiatrist and they're the, the um, medical psych, there's a psychologist, they're, you know, they're the clinicians, and there's simply not enough men in mm-hmm. the field. That's really um, true. We, we really, you know, uh, the, the big thing is we've got to be screening uh, men and women. And so mm-hmm. this whole mandate thing, I'm not, I'm anti-mandating because it makes it sound like it's only going to be the woman who should be screened. Mm-hmm. It's not true. And right. the screen in itself is so limited. And uh, David Levine likes to quote what Jane Honickman said to him when <laughs> we first met. I'd forgotten this. And he said, no, Jane, you said people lie. And yeah, oh, yeah, right. for sure. Yep. And so we have to have conversations again. And it's about be- being comfortable. Well, the obstetrician generally has not had behavioral health training. Psychiatrist doesn't know have this opportunity to get into the wellness piece right. um, around uh, developing families until there's mm-hmm. an illness. So it's we've got a really mixed up system unless we start talking during pregnancy. And I think mm-hmm. during pregnancy, there's an opportunity to you know, we call it education, um, but it's and people are want to know, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we had many more parent discussion groups going on during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Um, that's an opportunity that I don't think we're yeah. taking advantage of. No, absolutely. Um, 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts have been struggling with this, what I think happens for a lot of people is that they, I don't know, there's kind of um, an assumption that things will be fine or that they don't need, but I don't know, certain kinds of support or education before the baby comes. And then afterwards, when there's an issue there, you know, they feel a lot like, well, it would have been nice to know, or I wish I had known, or, you know, I didn't know. And I have not yet figured out how to bridge that gap to convince people that having uh, the education ahead of time, even if it doesn't happen to you, is is preventative and exactly. supportive. So, so based on uh, Dan's and my book, we have developed a very simple little brochure that lists out the significant things that dads uh, need to know and ask themselves. And it's mm. available online for free. Can be downloaded oh, at Parental Mental Health, and it's on our Facebook page, Parental Mental Health Factoring in Fathers. These things are out there. We just need to get them out. Right. Uh, we've written yep. it, but we have to get it out. I've also mm-hmm. developed um, a training that is available. It's a four-hour in-depth interactive system of learning that's um, based on the book, based on mm-hmm. all that I've learned from Dan, and gives people a time to actually think and have activities. It's not lecture-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what people I'd need, love, action. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to be able to get the word out that that's available through me. Um, and I did it, it's been piloted once mm-hmm. um, in April in a virtual setting because of the pandemic still. But I would love to be invited to travel and again, that we can get to people's communities and just say, look, hey, let's just sit down and have this. It can be done in an hour, but not as well as four hours. Right. Um, But something like that and certainly just engage in your own community. Yeah. The men. I mean, and the other thing is the problem we have faced all along, and it started when I started PEP, is we when we need to be referred to a professional, where are they? Who are they? Mm-hmm. And we've done PSI is fabulous in this regard. Mm-hmm. However, if you look and count up the gender gap between right. how many are men and how many mm-hmm. are women mm-hmm. and who are seeing whom, mm-hmm. where, we're not doing well at all. Absolutely. So we need, in, the, in the venue of, because of pandemic and all this happened with mental health finally getting onto the front page, right. the lack right. of male therapists and particularly those of color mm-hmm. is glaring mm-hmm. and we, again it's a pretty simple kind of thing it doesn't take a whole lot of training 
but it does take an awareness first to start finding individuals who are willing to to expand and say, no, I I want to see expectant couples. I want to focus on the father. I want to factor him in. So things like that. I think we could, you know, zip it up really fast if we just turned around and said, (laughs) okay, I'm a therapist and I I need to realize that I'm seeing the women, but Mm -hmm. who's seeing the fathers? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent that even if you're just meeting once, that's better than nothing. If you, you know, therapists out there who are meeting with someone who's pregnant at bring the father into the session, if, even if it's virtual, even if it's just to talk about like, oh, things are going to shift and change and how is everyone's needs going to be taken care of? It's absolutely essential and it supports the, the it supports birth, it supports postpartum um, for everybody when, when yeah. you can have those conversations. It, um, it, it, it absolutely. And one of the things that's in our book and I had not heard of this organization, American Pregnancy Association. Are you aware that there's a group called American Pregnancy, Pregnancy Association? Association. Oh, and possibly. they have and they have put out an expectant couples list of checkoff points for the men. It's wonderful. That's really uh, great. And so it's it's in the book. Uh, you can find it, download it, uh, the their association. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's under you know the, the realization that dads suffer too. They right. really need support, mm-hmm. and they need support. And what we do now is we need the father to support the mother, and that's the wrong message, hundred percent. Because it's not wrong; it, that's true. But he has been neglected. He is, and, and as uh, the movement saying. The forgotten parent is mm-hmm. the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. I, I really hope that people can can hear the, these points that you're driving home, um, because it is. I, I think in some way there was such a a, a fight and a, and a, an effort to make sure that um, birthing person's needs are met. And, which is great. And so we're at a point where I, I think that's happening more and more, but it does also do a disservice to the whole system if everyone involved isn't isn't taken care of. Um, and especially, you know, I think, again, for for the difference societally anyways, here in the U.S. is that sometimes men don't have other male friends that they can have conversations with and whether they can talk about how they're really feeling. Um, and it, it can be hard for men out there who don't have those kinds of connections to, to open up, um, let alone figure out how to open up and who to open up to. But if, like you're saying, we supply the resource and put it into the discussion that this is available and possible and can be helpful, then more and more people will wake into the idea that they can talk about this. And with a, a resource like you've provided, I think it's, I don't know if you would call it a roadmap, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a good resource, tangible, usable skills. Exactly. Tools. Yeah, absolutely. That there, we can all be doing this better if we just cognizant of the use of the woman uh, that they are dominating the field and, and, and being mindful that that's unkind and reflective of what we fought against when the men were excluding us. And mm-hmm. if you can put that in context of <laughs> um, we, we want to be best for all of us, we can do it. We can do In fact, we can do it right away. It would be, mm-hmm. In the old-fashioned world of the 60s, it was called consciousness raising. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there has been... I don't know if if it's like a stereotype of, you know, the kind of ab- not absent father, but the father who's present, but not really helping. And there is a dynamic sometimes that I see for, for fathers who are trying to be engaged and wanting to be engaged, but who kind of never feel like they're doing it right or, or doing enough is sometimes they just, they kind of retreat and, um, and back out. And then, uh, you know, the female partners are, get more and more frustrated. Yeah, because it can feel really contentious. Um, and obviously, if the the mom or birthing person is a primary 
caregiver and the father or partner isn't around as much, yeah, they're not going to have as much practice or as much um, flow uh, into into their process. Um, But that doesn't mean they're incapable. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's quite a dynamic to to try and, um, and, you know, help people through. Because it can, you know, when people are sleep deprived, it's really hard to be like, you know, taking care of each other's feelings when all you want to do is sleep. (laughs) Exactly. And it's back to um, during pregnancy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. ideally before conception. I mean, wouldn't it be fantastic? Yes. Um, And I think I say more of that. There's more consciously, let's get pregnant, but let's wait. And then let's, what are we doing? And there's a lot, maybe there's too much thinking that goes into it. <laughs> maybe there's not enough spontaneity and just leave things alone. Um, and then in fact, don't certainly don't go into this pathological mode. Mm-hmm. Um, easily. Mm-hmm. You know, that tends to be a, a fallback. Cause that's so sad. We want to focus on wellness and doing well together and being happy and thrive. And we can, and we are, the majority of people do not suffer from illness. And so we, again, if that's the case, we have resources. We need to make sure yeah. that's, that's available. And the other piece of that is accepting of help. Right. Um, right. That's not easy. No. But if you set it up during pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps that that can help as as, as couples that need mm-hmm. to look out for each other's needs. But you can't do it alone. There should be extended family and friends around. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to, you know, people do have, men do have their clubs. They do have their social groups. They do have their their groups. It's, there's no reason why they can't start talking about it. And they, probably, they already are because I know because I get these calls and my, uh, my husband, because of, of who we are in our community, there are people who know, um, isn't your wife, wasn't she involved in PEP? Oh, well, my wife's not doing very well right now. Yeah. He will tell that father tells my husband, who then yeah. tells me, and then I say, <laughs> "Well, there's Pep." <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and yeah, so it, we it, have that in our town. The question is definitely. really quite puzzling to me. Why isn't that the norm in every community? And when I started mm-hmm. Pet PSI, my personal mission was to create a postpartum parent support network in every community in the world. So mm-hmm. the key words are parent support. Mm-hmm. and yeah. community-based, peer-led, mm-hmm. voluntary. Mm-hmm. So it's the norm. It's part of the culture in Santa Barbara because it's been around so dang long, and it doesn't <laughs> cost anything. And people still come up to me and say, oh, Jane, you saved my life. Well, I didn't save anybody's life. It was the fact mm-hmm. that we put a system in place. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um but as as you know, in 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 the in working in the field and with systems, it, it takes a little while sometimes. But your your persistence and your patience um, has started many things that have been useful for hundreds of thousands of people now. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's, wonderful. it's so and, great. It's just so gratifying and it's just mm-hmm. thrilling, and it's, it's so much fun for me to still connect with people. I love it. And I, and yet I don't hear from people anymore. That's one of the things about growing older and mm-hmm. becoming emeritus mm-hmm. and being, you know, not that you're pushed out, mm-hmm. uh, but you, it's right to have a new generation come along. Mm-hmm. It's correct to let go. Your children need to leave the nest. You need to move on, but I'm still alive. And I like to emphasize that I'm still kicking and kind of anxious to to see things happen um, and applaud everybody who's doing whatever you're doing. I mean, I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled we've come so far. And we really have achieved mountains of progress. For sure. Um, Yeah. And this is like the last remaining thing. I cannot think, except for the, I will end on this note, Mm -hmm. um, that I happen to believe that the word postpartum means forever. Mm-hmm. Once you have decided to be a nurturer of somebody else, you care through your lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I'm now a grandmother of eight. Mm-hmm. I'm still postpartum. And yeah. people need to understand that means I really care about my family. Yeah. Um, it doesn't go away. And it's right. not negative. And that's the other piece that's so sad for me to think that the word, when we were so proud when we 
started PEP and used the word postpartum for the first time in the United States, it wasn't about depression. Right. No, it was about the time of life. And now at my age, I can say, honey, it's still happening. I still care (laughs) about how my kids are having. I hope I live to see great grandkids, although some of my granddaughters are not so keen on having children at all. So it's going to be kind of (laughs) funny to see what happens. Right. But that's my point is that this is long term. This is an intergenerational. We all care about each other. And this is a time and certainly our country's crossroads that we can all gather around and agree on. I don't think we need to be divided whatsoever. And if anybody wants to take issue with me, Oh my gosh. I would love to hear that conversation. Yeah. You try and fight this with Jane Honickman. Let's see what happens. Well, you know, we do, we, you know, that I do have a retreat set up in my home in Santa Barbara and it's called postpartum action Institute. Mm -hmm. And that's available. We should show Shoshana Bennett and I still do that. And uh, people are welcome to come to Santa Barbara anytime (laughs) and hang out. It's a, it's a beautiful place to go. So it's I, not bad. We've been, yeah, it's not bad. We can talk people into coming pretty easily. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so please do that. It's an open invitation. And, and, and likewise, I'd love to travel. So I'm waiting for my phone to start ringing and saying, oh, yeah, why don't you come to us and we'll, we'll have a conversation about how we can make it even better. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Jane, for all that you do and continue to do and your your passion and compassion is so clear. I hope that, you know, the people who are listening to this can can feel that and use some of your energy to take this into their communities as well. Thanks, Kat. I, I appreciate you so much and for all our listeners, for everything people are doing. It's, it's a good time to be alive. That's sure, how I want sure. to end it. Sure is. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. If you'd like to get connected with Jane, go to at parental underscore health on both Instagram and Twitter, or look on the website factoringinfathers.com. Thank you all for listening and sharing this podcast with people who can really benefit from this information. And as we keep working, it's imperative that we continue to spread the word and share our stories and involve all parents in the process to parenthood. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.